Hello, everyone. Welcome. I see uh, familiar faces. Uh, I'm Vitor Pereira, your host for this uh, afternoon and uh, at Zoom uh, Smart Global Smart Cities Association. We are organizing the Smart Cities Q&A. It's a regular space where uh, we are going to introduce some of our distinguished members and um, uh, people that can uh, introduce uh, some uh, good content, uh, interesting content related with Smart Cities, of course. So uh, today we have a distinguished guest, as uh, uh, my good friend James Noakes is uh, working with the city of Belfast. He was going to explain a little bit uh, what is going on in the UK and also with his uh, recent project. Uh, James, welcome. I know um, that you are doing uh, some good work. You started uh, a long time ago, uh, spreading the word about what a smart city needs, what is uh, content that uh, uh, people are talking about smart cities, sometimes they missed a little bit. So um, when we um, uh, first met, uh, you already uh, talking a lot about leadership, about uh, courage to take decision and uh, to manage the, what is the proper questions for the city to manage and um, so this is uh, the right time I believe with the COVID-19 with a lot of things going on in the world a lot of problems a lot of challenges for the future and um, I think we all have interesting interested in uh, listen to you to your words and uh, also we are, have a Q&A questions and answers from your side some people can have doubts or can share some uh, um, some content with us also. So, James, be our guest. It's your turn now. I'll give you the word now. Thank you, Vitor. Um, thanks, everyone, for joining me this evening. I'm, I'm hoping that you can all hear me. Uh, if you can't, just to kind of somehow let us know whether it's through the chat or not. Although, if you can't hear me, how could you ask me, me ask you that? Um, but uh, I'm really, um, really thrilled that. Vitor's asked me to uh, give a bit of a presentation today. As per normal, Vitor asks you and then you say, yes, I will. And then you find out he wants you to do it the very next day. Um, so uh, I do apologize if, it, if it's not the greatest presentation, but um, we'll make of it what we will. I've been involved in smart city uh, issues for several years, probably less than some people on this call, um, but certainly uh, uh, more than a few, but I've been involved at various different levels. so. I've been involved at the uh, at the city leadership level as well as the officer level, uh, and also to a certain degree in consultancy as well uh, along there. So I suppose what I'm going to try and do over the next ten minutes or so is to try and just get a little bit of a flavour of the things that I've been involved in, but more uh, just to raise some issues that I think um, that people may be interested in, and some little pointers that I feel are important. Along the way, especially as we develop our system. Um, I know this is about the 15th different uh, video conferencing app I think I've used. Um, I said to Vito just before the beginning of this call, this should be our time as everybody uh, tries to take uh, advantage of digital, digital, but it feels like to a certain degree that we've got still some way to go. Um, 
So a little bit about my background at the moment. I'm a city innovation broker as part of the city innovation team in Belfast. That's the smart city team effectively. We're working on a range of different uh, projects just before the COVID crisis hit. We were working on the £350 million city deal, which is an agreement with central government where they provide us a certain amount of funding and we'll deliver on that. And I was heavily focused on developing things like a smart district, developing the infrastructure to support digital technologies uh, and trying to think very differently about how we support the economy and society within Belfast. As you, can well, uh, you may be well aware that Belfast has had a somewhat troubled history, shall we say. Uh, and so, but it's a, a very much a forward-looking city now that it wants to try and do things differently and it wants to learn from some of the great places uh, around the world in how to do that. Um, previous to this, I was assistant mayor of Liverpool. I was one of those horrible politician types um, over in England. Uh, I keep saying that I left politics in England to come somewhere where it was less controversial by myself in Northern Ireland. Um, and uh, But whilst I was there, I was responsible for uh, a number of different issues. There was the whole of the investment in our highways, waste, Essentially, anything anybody could complain about, I was the person that they would come to. And um, everybody has complaints about things like highways. Everybody has complaints about things like waste. And there's some real difficult challenges that we've had to face up to uh, with that one during my time in Liverpool. And some great successes are, are, are things worth highlighting as well. My professional background is more in environment and sustainability. You'll see on the screen there, there's a few different um, uh, roles that I've played. Uh, some of them were still whilst I was uh, an assistant mayor, whilst I was serving on the city council in Liverpool. Um, and so I was able to get uh, a slight two sides of the, uh, of the issue, really. One, what it was like to actually have to try and deliver, and one, what it was like to have to weigh up those different challenges. I always remember having to turn around to the mayor of Liverpool and point out to him that we wanted to invest in certain technologies his response would be something along the lines of so which child do you not want me to take care of um now to a certain degree that's kind of a really difficult question um but the reality is that's the kind of thing you have to make a decision on when you're leading a city so it's not being afraid to make those decisions to stand your corner and also to recognize that there are competing priorities uh, out there so you've really got to get the biggest bang for your book as I say, I have some, uh, my resume uh, goes on probably a bit too much. One of the key things, I suppose, um, I've learned over the years is just how times do change uh, and the need to accept change. There's quite a lot of people who find it very difficult to, get, uh, to, to accept the concept of change. And I think if you're working in a smart city uh, arena, you really do need to accept the fact that things change and that... Um, part of that is when you go to make an investment and you know full well that the technology is outstripping the decision-making process, um, you've just got to accept that. So you've just got to realise that things will change over time. Um, as another great example, uh, do you remember when we used to be able to have crowds? Um, there's a, an example uh, of that. Um, you see the, 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 um, the, the lady in the centre of that, she's the only one who's not on a phone. Um, but things do change uh, over time. Those, the use of technology is just, it can be very difficult. I should have put in a slide there that I normally have, which is the decision-making process can often be caught right in the middle of both push and pull uh, challenges. The push being uh, the need to get, as I say, bigger bang for your buck, 
the need to determine where investment is going to go to make those decisions, but also in challenging times, uh, even before COVID, to understand where you're going to invest less and less money, certainly here in the UK. Um, but at the same time, there's a kind of pull that comes there as well, which is um, the expectations that people have of using technology and also the rapid uh, pace of change of technology uh, anyway. So I can remember when I first started to serve on City Council, an innovative new approach was to have something called a one-stop shop, which was a single location where people could come and access council services. By the time that I left City Council, that was the kind of thing that we were no longer investing in because people wanted to know why they couldn't just access things online or using technology rather than having to physically uh, go somewhere else. And I think um, some of those changes have helped us in current times, but also we've still got to realise that there is some change that still needs to be made, and I'll touch upon a little bit of that uh, later. Um, I like this. There's a guy called Vinay Gupta. If you ever get the chance, he talks some great stuff about uh, resilience. He also talks some great stuff about uh, technology and how it's changing. He's got a good background in, in things like blockchain, etc. Um, uh, he points out that if we think that we're not being affected by technology and by data, the reality is we already are. People now are meeting each other through internet dating. And depending on what that algorithm is, whether that is uh, Match.com or whether that is uh, another um, uh, another uh, piece of technology, uh, that algorithm is determining whether two people come together. And if they have children, well, you could say you could argue that it's changing uh, the genetics uh, of society. Uh, as he points out, it's um, it's not like the previous approach was uh, was one hundred percent infallible, and that was essentially no better than just drink and proximity. Um, so uh, it's slightly tongue in cheek, but it is to point out that there are deep impacts already happening. Um, for people out there and on society just by how technology uh, is changing. Um, I'm quite often asked what we mean by smart city and it can be very difficult to uh, to answer that and I actually think it's, it's probably wrong to try and come up with one single definition because it means so many things to so many different people. I'm getting some feedback there, Vito. Sorry. Um, yeah. Um, sorry. Um, to, sorry I'm, I'm actually loath to say whether it's whatever you want it to be, um, because there has to be some kind of uh, parameters that you work within. But it can also be a bit too much if you start talking simply about uh, ICT and technologies. Again, I'll touch upon a little bit of that later about uh, what some of the changes actually mean uh, um, outside of technology. But I was always reminded several years ago, I was at an event in London and there was a presentation on stage. We've all been there uh, um, and we've seen presentations where someone says, I only spent half a billion pounds and managed to make uh, X amount of change. Um, and everybody else is kind of sat there thinking, if only. Um, but as this person was reeling off all these different innovative investments in technology, a guy who was sat next to me, I was speaking to, he was from... Uh, the, uh, the, he was from India and he was part of the 100 Smart Cities initiative in India. And he turned around to me and he said, if we could have clean water and sanitation, my city would be so much smarter than it is today. So it's a kind of recognition that 
some of the most basic things that you can uh, that we come to expect certainly in the developed world but some of the most basic expectations of the city can make an immeasurable improvement on people's lives uh, and that's really what a smart city should be about and um, there's a lot of people who will talk about data and yes data is incredibly important i think in recent times uh, i've spent the last several weeks uh, listening to conversation and being part of conversations about to data, understanding what is actually happening out there. And that's definitely a real challenge uh, that people have. Not just access to the data, but as um, I know a colleague uh, over in Toronto pointed out, it's the curating of that data. It's one thing just to provide data, but actually the management and the curation of that data is incredibly important because city point of view, if you don't begin to get involved in that and you don't deliver on that, Others will do it for you, and I think it's incredibly important that, that the city uh, and the organisations and institutions that make up that city play uh, an integral role in delivering on that. But it's also to have a bit of a caveat there which says that it's not just about the data. It can't just be about data. Um, people can get lost in it being something that's just focusing on the data. And I know there are several examples around the world where a huge amount of investment has gone in, to, for instance, to make data open, and nobody's actually using it. So it is important to think about the curation of that data and why you're actually uh, engaged in that. But at the same time, to recognise it can't just be about it. But also that people, uh, if we're talking about technology, working along with people, the most important thing in that is people. It's not the technology. Um, the technology um, will change, and of course, you know, to a certain degree, we can argue that, they, that people will change. But actually, it's about delivering on the needs of the people. So... Uh, spending a lot of time listening and a lot of time uh, uh, discussing with people, which is difficult, is is incredibly important rather than having the situation, which quite often happens of having technology solutions looking for problems, um, trying to identify the problems. We take a challenge-led approach in Belfast about understanding the mission, understanding the challenges, um, and then seeing what technologies and what approaches can assist. Uh, with that and I suppose I'd probably sum that up um, and this is my own little acronym it's uh, what is smart well it's essentially just something making a real transformation uh, the example in the picture there is city bike in Liverpool and when people used to ask me what's the smartest thing that the city's done I used to point out I think it is city bike and it's just a bike provision program like many other cities around the world have but one day I was walking along the banks of the river with a friend. We saw a group of young people sat there. They all had a city bike and they were all enjoying a bit of a day out down by the riverfront. And it struck me that that interaction, that that event that they were having would not have happened if it wasn't for a provision of city bike. Um, we already recognised that people were using the city differently as well because of provision of that. Um, it's, an, it's quite an old technology now, the bike, but it's something that used in that context is incredibly smart. It's made the city a better place and it's given people much more opportunity. So I think that's when I talk about smart, we can't just talk about technology. Um, I also have found over the years, everyone likes to point out that they've got their own challenges, that they've got their, their special case, that they are very different from everybody else. Uh, and yet the more I find people discussing stuff, the more I find that actually they've got more in common and that um, the context may be slightly different, but actually I've given some examples there 
that if you were to read out any of them, then pretty much anybody in any city would say, yes, that's a challenge that we face. That's something that we need to, to address. Um, there's probably a whole host more as well uh, that you could have put on there. Um, but there's lots of people being involved in addressing these. There's lots of good people out there. Um, they may not necessarily class themselves as part of the smart city uh, industry, uh, but they're definitely doing some really interesting stuff around all of those different things. Um, but it's a recognition that you can learn from cities elsewhere. Um, the one thing that I would hope that people begin to realise when we have a shared pandemic, not that it's something you'd wish upon yourself, is the fact that we are all people were all uh, similar in the challenges that we face. Now, our responses, as been demonstrated on the news, may be very different, but the reality is that we have some shared challenges um, and that we should be doing much more to work together on these. And, you know, things like Zoom cities, which uh, Vitor helped put together, is uh, incredibly important for that. I will make one special note. You'd expect me to, to talk about political leadership. It is incredibly important to have that political leadership from a city's point of view. But I don't mean that in a party political stance. Um, I could, if you wanted me to, to go into um, party political lines, but I don't think that's particularly helpful because the reality is um, the vast majority of people involved in uh, politics at a municipal level are there to try and make a, uh, a real difference for the better. They may disagree on how it's done, but they definitely want to make uh, a difference. Um, but when it comes to smart city programs, it's, it really is important that you have that champion uh, at a senior level uh, who can help. Um, I, used to, I used to always point out that part of my problem was to give cover to those officers who wanted to do some innovative things. Um, that was part of my challenge. Um, and, and I think it's incredibly important to have someone who's able to do that. Um, one thing I should I wanted to point out is a great book if you've not uh, read this. It's by um, Edward Glazer, who's a professor at, in Harvard. The Triumph of the City. Um, there's definitely some arguable points in there, but he points out that um, cities are great places because of serendipity. They bring people together, they throw people together, and they are able to uh, do great things. So you get some real benefits of density. But then we also have the demons of density, whether that is disease or crime or other problems uh, that arise out of that. Um, so I suppose this is a kind of shout out to say that we should be um, really proud of what cities can achieve, but also just be uh, quite aware of some of the problems that can come uh, with that. Um, I'm very much an urbanist, um, uh, but I think, you know, there's many a great book out there. That was certainly one that, um, that influenced some of my thinking about how we could address some of the challenges uh, within the city. He's also got some really interesting uh, talks online, which kind of gives you an indication of why we have some of the problems that we do and how cities can help us overcome some of those problems. I'd also like to say that, um, uh, to, uh, to quote Schumacher, um, small is beautiful, uh, that actually um, we can get, very caught up in some of the very large ticket schemes. You know, the team that I'm in is working as part of that £350 million package in Belfast. But actually, the real, some of the real differences can be made with small, minor changes that don't necessarily need a huge amount of money. I'll give you three examples uh, on the screen there. Uh, on the left, you'll see uh, uh, an Echo, Amazon Echo. Uh, as part of what we did in Liverpool, um, we uh, managed to put to uh, onto the the to Alexa, and people were able to ask ask Alexa when they could put their bin out. A very very simple thing, 
But one of those infuriating problems that an awful lot of people had, um, uh, which was what colour bin goes out tomorrow. Uh, and it's a small, minor change, but had a real um, big impact on how people um, found out data, had an impact on uh, people needing to go online and find out, and also had a beneficial impact on bin collections as well. Very small, minor, minor thing, um, but something that we were quite proud of because it really did make a difference. On the right-hand side, there are a couple of other examples. One is something that is right the way across the UK. It's a small little button that is, sits underneath uh, the crossing um, uh, point. So um, when, to, so I don't know where it's like in lots of other countries, but certainly in the UK, when you go to cross, you press the button, it tells you to wait. And then when it's time to cross uh, on red, um, it, a lot of the time it'll beep. But actually for some people who are deaf and some people who are blind as well, if they put their hand next to that small little nodule, uh, that will spin and that lets them know that they can cross. It's a small little uh, uh, item, but it has a huge impact on how people can enjoy the city and use the city. And then, far, and then finally on that slide, a really great example. I can't remember the girl's name. I should have it to hand. Uh, but um, she was, I think she was actually born uh, without uh, one of her arms developed. And she had lots of prosthetic hands. And uh, a makerspace in Liverpool that we were um, that we were very supportive of uh, found a 3D printed hand. Now it it's got all the functions of a hand. Doesn't necessarily look exactly like one, uh, but they were able to 3D print it out for her, and uh, they could change that over time. And then it became that all of her friends wanted one. Uh, unfortunately, you know, they couldn't give uh, one. But um, that kind of innovative look at how you can do things. Uh, really changed uh, that small little girl's life. I love the story as well that when they put on an event to um, to show people how they could do that, uh, a young boy and his family had travelled something like 500 miles up to Liverpool just to to find out how to do this. Um, from right, I think down from Cornwall in the UK. By the t- and when they went to leave, they were like, "Great, they had some blueprints. They needed to go and find a 3D printer." And then one of the guys just turned around and said, "Hang on, why don't we just give him one of the hands?" Um, because we can just 3D print another one out. And so that's what they did, making huge differences. A very small thing when you think about it, but making a huge difference to uh, an individual and actually quite a lot of people's lives. So just bear in mind that small can be really, really impact, impactful. But I should also point out that don't be afraid to go big. Um, I don't think trying to change cities for the better through using technology uh, through um, uh, having big investment, you should be shied away from. Far too often, the big investment can go to some of the things that entrench the problems. Um, and uh, it's time, I think, that the smart community shout out uh, about the kind of investment that it needs to see. Uh, I think what we're noticing at the moment about people's reliance on uh, uh, technology and infrastructure shows that probably we should have been investing a whole lot more, a whole lot sooner. Um, than we have done. So don't be afraid to go big, even though, uh, as I have said, small is beautiful. You'll be pleased to know to so left. Um, the, uh, so infrastructure rarely matters. Uh, we can talk about all the great use cases and all of, the, uh, uh, all of the different technologies that can be used, but infrastructure rarely matters. Um, Belfast has developed a local full fiber network to help deliver its own services. And off the back of that, we can trial different approaches 
uh, well, we hopefully can when restrictions are loosened. Um, we can trial different approaches. Uh, we can't get things done if, it, if we don't have the infrastructure there. Um, what we're finding, for instance, during this current crisis is that some people were saying to them they should access their services online, whether that is uh, direct social support or whether that is access to employment support, whether that is mental health support. But if you don't own a device, if you find it too expensive to have internet access in your home, it's incredibly challenging. And uh, they're almost be, uh, having to miss out twice because they were never part of it when uh, things were open. And now when things are so concentrated online, there's a real challenge for people. And we're looking at new innovative ways that we can help people uh, address that challenge through provision of devices, potential developing mesh networks. But I definitely would be interested to hear from other people if they've got some insight and some experience in delivering on that. Um, and I think this Maslow's hierarchy is uh, something um, I think we're all beginning to, to feel during the, uh, the current crisis. The, the sky, white, sky broadband went down across Northern Ireland, I think it was last Friday or last Thursday, and uh, you don't need to uh, know just how, an impact that had on so many different people. Infrastructure is incredibly important, and that access to, uh, to Wi-Fi. Anyone who's got kids in the house right this moment will realise just how important uh, that is. Um, so I suppose finally what I'm saying is now is the time. Um, there, there, was a, there was a report produced in the UK on future cities just in March. Um, and uh, I think probably uh, already that probably needs to be re-looked at. But now is definitely the time because they, people, are, people are changing the way that they behave. I don't think there's any way that people are going to go back to the normal that they knew beforehand. There's definitely a bit of a dam being broke in the fact that some people are able to use uh, online technologies a lot more. They're becoming more used to things like what we're doing now, um, online uh, interaction. Uh, we, here in Belfast, we've provided something COVID, called COVID Connect and I. So we've essentially been able to move our brokerage uh, service that we provide in our team online. Uh, so we're bringing to, back together those people who've got challenges around COVID with those who've got uh, support that they can offer and uh, go on to COVID Connect and I to have a look at that. Um, but I've had discussions, for instance, with the Professor of Future Cities here in, in Belfast, and we definitely think that there is a reboot moment that is happening uh, and that we need to take advantage of. It's a recognition that some of those challenges I've already outlined around connectivity, around digital, around infrastructure, at the same time that people wouldn't be entirely happy going back to the same uh, same old to go back to just start those problems again to just have those cities which are difficult to get around those cities where it's difficult to uh, access services there's definitely a reboot moment going on and it's a real opportunity um, for changing the way we behave because going back to how I started um, there's one thing that is a constant is change and the uh, we we don't realize sometimes just how much we've changed uh, I saw a friend today tweeted, said they'd been kept, keeping a diary for the last couple of months and they realised just how much we've had to change, just how much we've um, had to take in. Um, so what I would say is a recognition uh, that there is change, a recognition that actually we can change, we can take the opportunity. So um, thank you. I hope it's been interesting. I hope it's had some insight. Um, if not, I do apologise. Uh, but if you...
know more and you definitely want to get in touch or anything, then I'm happy to answer some questions now, but those are my contact details and say more than happy to, uh, to, to have a chat elsewhere. So thank you very much. I'll shut up now and uh, hand back over to Vito. Thank you so much, James. Definitely, you don't need to apologize. That's uh, something that uh, we don't accept, your apologies. Uh, we thank you. We thank you a lot for um, what you brought. The kind of insight that we need right now is uh, very important that everyone um, understands that this is not uh, something new. We are uh, battling for a long time for these questions related with the smart cities becoming a mainstream and then they uh, ruin everything probably because some good projects are being done uh, in the shadows. It's like something that uh, don't need to be featured in, uh, in the media, no need to be mainstream. They just need to solve problems. And sometimes we totally forgot what is the difference between solving problems and uh, making uh, something uh, um, different. So I take uh, a lot of notes, uh, not a lot, but at least three or four, but I want to give uh, the chance to people to give, um, to, to ask you direct questions and, uh, and, uh, and uh, share their opinions also if it's the case. So uh, now uh, I give the, the audience um, the chance to uh, do some questions or do some comments. Uh, what about uh, James said, uh, something else that um, he didn't say, probably because uh, this is not a, a normal conference, and I apologize for the feedbacks. In the I, uh, I, sh I, should have, I should have added, I'm quite happy for people who have disagreed with anything I've said. Um, if there's one thing that you kind of learn over the years, it's, it's like um, you, you really don't know it all. So, so people disagreeing, people having a different point of view, I think that element of challenge is always needed. Maybe I should have put that in the presentation. That element of challenge is always needed because we should always be learning. Yes, definitely. Uh, James, I would ask you if someone uh, in, in the middle, if someone, if uh, no one uh, brings some question, I would ask you this one immediately because that's one of the things that worry most um, the people that are working with the smart city projects uh, all over the world. So we need, we really need courage and determination and authority and leadership to take decisions. Some decisions are not good decisions to take. So we need a, a, like a wide uh, a platform of acceptance. Uh, um, this goes above parties, ideologies and so on. So I would ask you this, this question because uh, that's something that you mentioned right now if someone disagrees. Sometimes people don't disagree, they don't disagree with the measure, they just want them to do it. And this becomes a totally different kind of fight. So what is your, your, um, what is your advice? Because you are connected with the politicians and uh, along, for a long time you, you, you were a city councillor, I believe, uh, in uh, Liverpool. So you also have this kind of experience. Sometimes people don't want to do things just because there are others doing it. What is your comments? Yeah, yeah um, oh, so a few different things there. I, I noticed that a good friend, uh, Samir, is on uh, the call. He's another uh, counselor. I'm sure he'd have his own uh, opinion as well uh, on this. Um, there's no right or wrong answer. A uh, couple of different things. One on leadership. Um, I, I remember being told once that there are two different types of leaders there's um one is the ones who want to lead and ones 
The other is the ones who find out where everybody's going and walk in front. Um, and they're not necessarily a bad thing in, in doing that um, to, to, to help people, guide people along the way. Um, but definitely it is useful if you're able to find those people um, who are able to, to properly lead. Uh, and they don't, they're not always the elected leaders. They're not always the ones who are at the top. Uh, and quite often they're some of the people who really just make a difference in the local community. So there's definitely that. Um, there's definitely, we can all do something ourselves. We don't have to uh, wait on other people always to do it. There's, um, I was always a fan of asking for forgiveness rather than uh, permission, uh, which tend to get me into trouble, but that's the way it is. There's definitely uh, something there about um, one uh, about making as much change as you possibly can for the better. And then finally, I think it's also worth bearing in mind that quite often people, the feedback that you got from the general public, there's always a challenge around how do we engage the general public. But some of the feedback you tend to get uh, and the approach there is they will only come back to you if it's something gone wrong and they've got a problem with it. Um, quite often just not hearing something um, was almost good enough. Um, they quite accept, if you did something good, and you did something that was changing things for the better, then so you should have. And that's what that's the way they'd look at it. But if you did something bad, they soon get in touch with you. So it's not to be afraid um, uh, in making those changes. And if if you're not the person who's right at the top who can make all those decisions, and you know what, neither was I. I still had to have a mayor that um, I was able to persuade. And at the moment, you know, I have uh, managers and others who have their own challenges as well. Uh, I suppose on that, I would just before I shut up, is um, it's probably uh, really useful to get an understanding of where people are at and the challenges that they're facing rather than go at them with a solution that you think you've got for them. Because uh, I used to get very annoyed when people would come at me uh, telling me this is the solution that they've got, we should really invest in this, or we only want £20 million, pounds, what have you. Um, and they had spent no time trying to actually find out what the problems were, what the challenges were and what we could already doing about it. So, yeah, um, as I say, I'm sure Samir's got uh, his own opinion on that. Hey. Do you want to jump in, Vitor, very quickly? Go ahead. Yeah, and, and thank you, James, uh, for the nudge. Good to see you on the screen, sir. Hope to see you in person soon when all of this is finished. Um, it's, it's just, I'll, I'll say a couple of things very quickly, um, and they're primarily linked to data. And I think, you know, being, being smart in terms of infrastructure, as James said, is, is incredibly important. And it's always the little things that matter. But sometimes it's also the things that help the local authority or the city make a decision that's also important. And I'm finding, and, and maybe others have a similar, similar ex experience from the city perspective. Um, you've all seen and heard uh, the personal protective equipment debates in the media, how we don't have PPE to deal with COVID and everything else. But getting the numbers on the burn rate, i.e. how much PPE is the city using every day so that we can then fix the supply chain is incredibly difficult. You know, I'm now looking at data that came in 20 minutes ago, but of just reading it, I asked for the burn, burn rate, i.e. how many gloves are we using every day? How many aprons are we using every day? How many goggles are we using every day? And it's difficult. What I got was effectively what the city thinks it needs based on the supply. And I'm saying, but that's not what I asked for. And it's not exactly the same thing. 
But these are some of the difficulties. And I think we should have mechanisms or data streams that actually feed these things for us incredibly quickly so that a we can make the decisions as the people responsible for healthcare in the city but also so we can then talk to the suppliers and say this is what we need based on what we're using uh, and i'll and i'll like james I'll, I'll shut up there but i think there's some useful debates to be had on on data and data use across city departments and teams james you have any comments no, I'd, I'd totally agree with that. One thing that we are finding, it's not just that example of data, one thing that we are definitely finding is um, this is incredibly fast moving, some of the challenges that we face, getting the right data, understanding who might actually own that data, who may who may be the people who are collating it, um, understanding who can clean that data, who can help us analyze that data. Um, it's really difficult. We've still got you know, and I'm sure it's the same everybody else. That there may be some who are operating off, you know, great database systems, and others who are essentially just operating off a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet. And um, and you know, it may work for them. So you know, it's not to criticise them what they're doing. It may work for them, but but trying to then get a picture together is makes it incredibly difficult. That's why we've tried to partner up with some local organisations that have some data analytics capacity. But even then we've got some challenges about just getting access to that data as well. This is a common question, uh, how to get access to some data that um, is labeled like uh, free open data, but then at the end there's very little data to, to uh, bring to the people. The, I've noticed over the years, uh, in my experience, quite a lot of the time, the open data approach from a lot of cities, and I'd include City I've been responsible for as well, has been based on just what have we got to hand and what can we just throw out there? Rather than going back to that point I was making before, uh, I think it was, I can't remember the guy's name over in Toronto, it made the point of needing to curate data and, and really understand what do you have, uh, how do people use it, what use could it be, um, and to spend some real time about understanding what data you're putting out there and how rather than what, you know, it may be useful, but a spreadsheet which indicates where all your public conveniences are is not necessarily the greatest approach to open data. I'll use that as an example. <laughs> if someone uh, wants to add the question, uh, don't forget to unmute, uh, open the microphone, and uh, you can uh, share with us your thoughts also. If uh, in the meantime, I have, uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to this this question of data, James. I'm sorry because uh, it's we it's, we are talking for so long about this, and uh, uh, it takes too much time to get uh, things done in the in the proper way. And uh, you mentioned a couple of things that uh, actually um, have been discussed for ages. The first one is related with the algorithm and uh, and uh, and uh, who runs the show, uh, by the way, and uh, this become obvious right now with the, with the COVID-19 uh, problem. Uh, I believe the smart cities brought a lot of um, awareness and uh, advocacy for what what is the real role of the ones who help politicians to take uh, decisions and based on what 
and uh, the algorithm is, is there. So uh, I, I'm not uh, surprised that I wrote this uh, six years ago or more, um, that there will come a time that uh, we will get married with the, with the algorithm deciding uh, like something by faith or faith or, 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 um, or something unnatural. Uh, and we'll think naturally that something that's happening just because uh, we uh, destiny uh, join us together. So what is your thoughts? I will go a little bit more uh, deeper, uh, putting in, into um, this conversation, what is the real uh, effectiveness, effectiveness uh, on our lives about uh, with the algorithm and, and all these uh, new uh, options that are totally uh, uh, wild right now. We need an oath for this kind of approach right now. An ethical approach. Well, data has been incredibly uh, uh, well. It's been at the forefront of a lot of thinking. Uh, certainly, in the team that I'm in, for for at least a year now, we'd held a we'd held a session with the University of Maynooth from Ireland on data ethics, and uh, there's a lot going on there. I wouldn't personally be the best person. I could certainly point you towards uh, the data specialist in our team, um, but I wouldn't be the best person to be discussing. Uh, details of that but just to highlight the fact that it's incredibly important this discussion about you know not only access to to data but who guards the guards um, uh, as well is uh, incredibly important I know that some people have um, you know almost in a kind of immediate response to to the COVID situation they're almost trying to throw um, some of the data ethics out the window and, uh, and uh, there's some real civil liberties uh, challenges associated with that. I don't necessarily think we need to uh, do that. I, I was actually, before all the current issues uh, arose, I was in the middle of writing a piece where I actually think that the approach that's being taken by GDPR is a very good, healthy halfway house between some of the challenges that we see in different parts of the world. So we see some very autocratic approaches to developing smart cities, which is the state will determine exactly what um, this is about. There's a lot of focus on things like security uh, and the like. And then at the other end of the scale, we have a much more corporate approach, which is essentially you know, giving up parts of your city even to uh, large corporates. I think there's a definitely a balance that needs to be struck um, between the two of them, and I personally think that um, GDPR is a, a very interesting step along the way to help, certainly help position Europe, but uh, I think to help lead the debate and actually how do we address uh, data issues. Um, when it comes to how do you inform uh, policy making and how do we inform uh, decision makers, it's probably worth pointing out that uh, it'd be far too cold just to say well, there's an algorithm that tells us exactly what the outcome is going to be because um, at the end of the day, this is humans needing to interact with humans and it's quite right that you know people are able to express their own opinion even if it flies in the face of um, even if it flies in the face of some of, uh, of the evidence uh, that's you know you may not like the the outcome or the decision making process that goes with that but as I was always taught uh, many years ago kind of the, 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 the price of your freedom is the ability to make mistakes as well. Um, and uh, whilst we can help protect against some of the more dangerous mistakes, people should learn along the way about just the role that they need to 
um, take when it comes to using data, when it comes to developing different algorithms. There is some danger in uh, allowing um, ourselves to be very algorithm-led, but um, they should be just one of the tools in your arsenal for how you um, affect positive change in cities, and it shouldn't be the, the be-all and end-all uh, of that. And just a final point, one thing that we are looking at in Belfast is the idea of a data trust. Um, and that is, how do you bring together data that helps the city operate better um, but all, and, and provide access to that, but also have in place some of the protections that are necessary so that it isn't either a free-for-all or it isn't abused. So, um, But we're still a bit away from that. You know, all in all, data ethics is incredibly important. And I don't think anyone's got an exact answer or correct answer on it, but it's definitely a conversation that needs to continue to happen. Okay. Let's uh, wait. Uh, if someone has something to add, don't forget to unmute the microphone so the system can bring you uh, to the main uh, screen. So uh, you touch again in the, another good point of view and uh, probably the last question, uh, we have at least five or ten minutes more uh, for this conversation. If someone adds some more uh, questions, interesting questions than mine, of course. Uh, I, I, you just pointed out what, what is the wrong, what is the wrong, um, um, what is the error, uh, the risk, the, the risk-taking uh, error. It's like everyone assumes that smart cities have, uh, know everything already, everything is ready to deploy, everything is done. Uh, we just go to the supermarket and choose what is the best option, what is the best uh, solution. Uh, like you said, uh, 20 million pounds and that's it, we solve it. Um, we're not quite uh, on this stage and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm confident that we will uh, I, I should. Uh, I, I would hope that we will never uh, reach this stage, because that's mm, the, the stopping of innovation and disruption and the creativeness. So probably some of the problems that cities have uh, nowadays, uh, they can be solved in a creative way. That's a smart way to solve things. It's like uh, uh, the MacGyver style, and it doesn't need to take uh, uh, all the budget, uh, train all the budget uh, way down. So I would ask you, what is uh, uh, what you, how you feel when someone approaches uh, uh, your city, your 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 status, and say we sold this for this, uh, and you have you know it's not possible. It's possible to do it without a kind of budget, and uh, how cities can manage all this struggling with uh, so many solutions right now. Yeah, I, I think just. Certainly being clear about what your city wants to achieve, and I don't necessarily just mean in smart city terms, but being clear about what your city is trying to achieve, it has it confident in its own self uh, is incredibly important. Um, and that should be an approach which tries to bring together all the, the certainly the major institutions, but also uh, engages community uh, in that as well. Um, you're not solved the problem of uh, community engagement. It's forever you know, an ongoing uh, challenge. But definitely if you've got those kind of major players, those major institutions together, and you're all kind of fairly well focused, I think examples around the world where cities have progressed really well uh, has done that. That's why they've brought those uh, organisations and institutions together. And then it's the private sector, the public sector, the academic sector and community, uh, and third sector as well. So uh, bringing all of those uh, uh, together is 
really important. Um, Recognising that there is opportunity cost as well. So uh, there's, a, there's a risk in making no decision. There's a, you know, there's a risk in every decision that you, you know, you try and make, like you say, but there's a risk in making no decision. Um, and quite often what can uh, cause problems is that reluctance to try and just make a decision and go with it um, because you never move forward. If that's the case, it also means that if you're quite, if, if, if the city's becoming quite indecisive in the, in how it's going to approach some of these problems, um, that is uh, quite, well, it's certainly not creating a an area, it's not creating a city where people are open to innovation. Um, and, uh, you know, you've got to allow the, some of those opportunities for people to do that. And that can be really difficult because even like the regulators themselves can find it difficult. Uh, one thing that we're looking at, for instance, in Belfast is the potential for uh, having what we call a regulatory sandbox. It's not a new idea. There's lots of other places around have uh, begun to look at this. Um, I know there's some interesting stuff in Germany around this, but in the UK, the HMRC, the, uh, essentially our tax people, and the Information Commissioner's Office have looked at this. And this is where... Um, in order to to improve innovation in that field, they allow uh, organisations not to meet every regulation as long as there is oversight in there. And that can be very difficult because people can be quite, you know, they'll take a, an approach which is uh, quite auto, or quite autocratic. If it doesn't meet the regulations, it should never happen. Um, trying to get people to a point where they just say yes, let's see, is very difficult, and it can be quite difficult. It can be really scary for uh, regulators. Uh, to do that. Um, so that's definitely uh, a challenge around that. And then I suppose the last point I wanted to, um, I wanted to share uh, on this is, is, is a kind of very different uh, understanding about what we mean by uh, the role of digital in investments. Now, if I can just share this screen, I don't know whether it'll allow me to see. I think everyone can see that. Uh, this is a kind of bit of a mock-up that we've done of um, foreign direct investment and how it's impacted by uh, digital. Uh, on the left-hand side there, you've got the whole digitalization agenda, which is very reliant on data. Uh, and its interaction with the digital infrastructure is very reliant on software and hardware. Uh, the role that digital technology itself and the relationship is very reliant on data. But all of that kind of um, triangle uh, moves us on to very different business models, whether that's current traditional sectors getting more engaged in digital or um, foreign direct investment in less tangible assets and intangible assets. What used to be the case of, you know, they'll come in and buy a factory or they'll set up something. Uh, it's a very different approach that's being taken uh, now. Um, what that does mean is um, it means that uh, digital reduces the need for companies and people to invest in a location in the same way and it means you don't have to buy large assets necessarily to invest there it also means that um you can be a multinational uh, uh company and it just be one or two people because you're working across lots of different areas but also that all feeds back to emphasize the need for uh, that digital infrastructure that digitalization so there's a bit, bit of a, food, a feedback loop uh, comes into play there um, and all of that uh, faces up to those regulatory environment challenges it can be very difficult for people to get out of it it's a very old mindset 
about what investment actually means and the role that digital is doing in undermining some of those uh, investments. So uh, I just wanted to kind of flag that up because uh, that's something that we've been talking about, um, about the need to understand how uh, that allowing risk-taking can change the way that people are thinking about uh, investment as well. I hope that's made sense. I'm not just... I'm not just showing you something everyone's just going, what on earth are you going on about? So, yeah. It's very important because uh, it's one of the um, uh, requests right now from the cities because there's a competition, a global competition between the cities to get the uh, most... Uh, I've just, I just seen a couple of... Sorry, I've just seen a couple of questions there. That, that yes, yes, I was going to them. Yes. That sorry, that triple helix approach, we've, um, we do talk about the... Uh, helix approach we actually talk about the quadruple helix approach um say so we've got a public private academic uh, and community as well um because there tends to be an assumption sometimes that just because you've got the public sector there you've got some kind of community engagement there and i think that's the case that actually you need going back to something i said earlier you need that engagement of people um uh, in there and that kind of the, the the impact of cultural factors um that's really, really difficult question. That's an incredibly difficult question because uh, that's when the context is different for every city. Some very different cultural challenges in different places. As I say, um, one person's view of a smart city in one part of the world can be very different from another. You know, it can be very different 10 miles down the road uh, between different cities about how they view smart cities. But one thing is for sure, those cities that have a very good understanding of their own culture about how they themselves operate, they tend to do really well uh, compared to those who are still kind of struggling to understand what their, their, their point is or they're still trying to deal with some uh, intrinsic uh, problems. Um, and that, how do we engage citizens? And it's a kind of $64,000 question. Um, I think every city would love to know how it can better engage uh, citizens uh, on that. Um, and as I said before, quite often you will only find out uh, when you've done something wrong. It's kind of that's just the way it is. Um, but uh, I'd like some of those different approaches that people have taken towards co-creating services. So how do you develop services rather than in a kind of very uh, impositional, is that a word? Um, really a very imposing point of view of we've as a service, take it or leave it. Actually, how do you co-create your services? And we've had some interesting successes in the UK around uh, developing apps, for instance, with, uh, with the elderly, with young people, Etc. How do you engage them uh, with that? Um, and uh, yeah, I suppose it's making sure that just in the rush towards developing technology and not leaving people behind, just to re-emphasise a point that I had made before, that during this current crisis, some of the real challenges that, we've, that we're facing is just the access to infrastructure that people have got, whether they've got a device, whether they've got access to broadband. It's a, it's a real challenge. So uh, ensuring that you spend some time making sure that everyone's working off a level playing field is incredibly important. Thank you so much, James. It's really um, useful content that we share, you share with us. Of course, this uh, is very wide uh, components right now from the smart city uh, perspective. We used to understand the city, digital city, the technology city driven, uh, but now everything is um, connected, at least is something that we are asking for a long time for administrations is that to break down the silos, uh, start connecting uh, everyone and talk 
uh, everyone with the same purpose, which is to create a better life for their citizens. So we will have uh, other chances to uh, actually um, discuss this and other topics like culture, citizen engagement, and by the way, um, if someone, the next uh, uh, Q&A from uh, Zoom Global Smart Cities will be related with the blockchain and the fintech and all the perspectives that um, are there, uh, the potential is there, is related with digital, everything is uh, moving forward fast and we need to clear out the way, the path, so the, the proper messages, uh, they step forward and they move forward to uh, they achieve the success. It's a complicated world that we're living in right now. There's a lot of noise, a lot of messages, uh, different kinds of uh, perspectives. But we, we, I believe, this is the the last, uh, the last uh, statement uh, before we we close this uh, Q and A session. I believe that, uh, like Jim said, uh, and, and share with us his own experience, everything that uh, he has uh, to share with with all of us, is that uh, uh, we, we have to do everything with a purpose. The purpose needs to be um, take care of the problems of the citizens and uh, take care, even if we do wrong, at least we have the acceptance that we are trying to uh, solve it out. And um, these uh, things uh, have a lot of space in the, in between. They have a lot of solutions. They have a lot of uh, um, influence. Uh, they have a lot of uh, solicitation, solicitude. So uh, there's a, a, a need uh, to, um, even through these kind of sessions, uh, events of all, time, of all kinds, where everyone has a chance to share and ask and uh, take some doubts, uh, so I believe this is uh, some part of uh, of that process also. So I thank you all for being with us, and I thank you especially to you, James, uh, for taking the time. We will do it uh, more times. Uh, I believe now with the online thing, uh, we already have this in our agenda basically since the beginning of the year to do this uh, podcast and uh, and sessions online because it's uh, is also interesting that. Um, uh, and important that we, we, we share uh, and we keep saying that uh, there's a reality beyond uh, all the things that people are sharing and they have in their own minds. So thank you all, and uh, we see you next Friday for the blockchain fintech session with uh, um, another member of Zoom Global Smart Cities this time, Guilherme Correa. Thank you all, and see you soon.